I, I don't see. Let's see. Not that it matters. Oh, there you are. Hello. <laughs> yeah, nice to see you. Um, I haven't opened my Skype in a long time, too, and I realized that um, the call recorder I used to use is not supported anymore in this version of Mac that I have. I mean, so I'm, I'm still able to record. Like, I just started recording through Skype, so it's fine. But it's not as good. Or I guess it's not going to be as convenient. How about that? Have you ever used Zoom? I did one time, and it was uh, pretty slick, actually. But I don't have a version that supports any more than just, is it two people? Cool. Well, I have a, I have the Pro, so if, if you ever want to test that, if, if we're ever going to do a call and I'll be on it, we can test that. And it, it allows you to record separate audio tracks for each yeah. participant, and that and so that the editing in the back um, end can be um, sometimes that can be useful for like audio editing if if one mic is bad or one mic is is lower volume. Yeah. Just like next time. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Uh, are you still with us, Nor? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, it's good. I, I don't have my my cameras. I, I didn't put my camera on because uh, I think it slows down the uh, connection. I think I get distracted by the cameras too. Actually, it's good to get them off. But it's good to see you there for a second, everybody, and be seen. Yeah. And, uh, Oh, yeah, I gotta blow out the dust and get ready to do this, huh? Mr. your voice sounds deeper. Have you been smoking cigars these days? Or? <laughs> no, I, I just woke up. Okay. <laughs> that, might ha that might have to do with just waking up and... It's know. the Qatar. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's it's been raining here and for like days and days and days and... But yeah, I think it's just just waking up a little bit. Maybe it's the the Skype uh, audio system too. But no, it, <laughs> I don't think it's been that deeper. But yeah, um, no smoking, Nora. I'm a non-smoker. Been a non-smoker for some time. So you still smoke? I I never really smoked. I could I I used to smoke every once in a while at parties, but I never got I never got addicted to it. So oh, you're lucky. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I smoked on Thanksgiving. It was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> a cigarette or a, or a cigar? Yeah, yeah, cigarette. I. It's funny because it's like all the twenty-year-olds are out in the back deck smoking, you know, because they're twenty-year-olds. And I took about three drags and said, "Okay, that's enough. Here you go." It's funny. Yeah, I've been watching. I've been watching the uh, the Beatles um, get back thing. Have you yeah, seen that? Yeah, they smoke constantly in that. Yeah, Everybody's smoking. Like, uh, I kind of miss that in a way. Like it's kind of uh, you. You see people now like uh, out on the streets in the little designated smoking zones in in Tokyo, Yokohama, or whatever, and it's like 
these are the only people in society who actually talk to each other. <laughs> you know, I almost feel like becoming a smoker, you know, like <laughs> they all have their masks off and smoking and talking to each other. And <laughs> well, there's smoking is such a bizarre meditation because you connect with your breath and then you pause, like you reflect in your life, like you stop and you look up usually. You know, yeah. like you're yeah. you're bonding with something bigger than yourself for a minute. That's true. You know, and it, and and it's it, too... it does look cool, consequently, because <laughs> you're doing that. You know, like a, you're looking off into the middle distance and right. contemplating. Right. All right, guys. Sorry, I just had to get get some tea there. Uh, I heard about the Beatles, and then I and I, I split. But uh, how do you like that, Zor? Do you think is there any any insight you've gleaned? <laughs> oh yeah, there's lots, but uh, I think it should put to rest all the nonsense about Adorno writing the Beatles. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> you can see it right there. The creative process is just happening right at the moment. Yeah, I saw one clip of Paul writing um, "Get Back." Get back. I guess. Yeah. It just shows him on the guitar, kind of playing around, and then he kind of goes, "Get Back" uh, emerges. So yeah. The, this, the, whole, the theories that I saw was the I am the walrus. So maybe that theory is still alive. That's the one, one that I saw is like the big Adorno song. But no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> If you've ever been a, so like that's what a band practice is like. It's really interesting because they were like just so giant. But it's mm -hmm. the same kind of like uh, when... Paul is really tightly wound and he wants George, you know, to stop fucking around or whatever it was, you know, and they're he, kind of he's, bickering. He's, he's, <laughs> he's fucking around constantly. Like he's a, he's a constant trickster, Lennon, right? But, but Paul's like, we're, we gotta, we gotta create systems and we've gotta, there's yeah. a limited amount of time and we, the only way to make this happen is if we, you know, we really, you know, I've been in that situation, you know, like I understand exactly how all the people feel like the, the guy that's so tightly wound that needs order, you know, but the other guys are like, you know, more creative. Yeah, it, it's cool. Although it's I, like, I, uh, I also have sympathy for Paul uh, um, in, a, in a way, like I always thought he was sort of that ordered kind of anal guy in the band but then you see him constantly like just <laughs> say fuck it and freak out like he's he's he, did you see the the shot where he's just wailing on the drums with uh with uh yoko in the background shrieking and john's going mad on the guitar <laughs> like he, we, he, he paul loses we're still on the so first he, episode so we're just oh yeah just getting into it but it yeah i don't know i mean it's weird because it's not like a regular show it's like we're I mean, I, I'm sure Peter Jackson is crafting this, but yeah. at the same time, it's, you know, it's like moving pretty slow in the scheme of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it that it's so slow like that. You see so many details. Yeah. I, I've only been able to see clips that are on YouTube because I don't I don't have Disney Plus. And I don't I, I don't have Disney. Uh, SJ, I can send it to you. I don't have Disney Plus either, but I, I came across somebody had it um, all Download it from a, from a weird set. I'll send it to you right now just so that Please. I don't, don't okay. forget it. 
Um, I'm a huge Beetlehead, so I'd love, I've been like, these clips are awesome that emerge on YouTube. I've seen like 100, you know, maybe 50 of them or something, but I think I'd love to see it in that order. And it seems like there's some like really nice editing, you know, like the calendar that they, they go in and out of. And then it's cross edited with like other footage, isn't it? Like it's not just that footage, like there's some um, footage it's, of the it's, concerts. It's, it's mostly yeah. that it's mostly that footage. Like it's um uh, in, in certain parts of it they added like right at the beginning it sort of tells the history of the Beatles and then uh-huh. um and then during the uh during the rooftop concert they, they go back and forth between cameras, but it's mostly uh footage of them in the uh studio. Okay, cool. Because I saw that mon- that opening montage then of like, and the Beatles decided to stop touring, and John, you know, it was like a little history that would that, that seemed pretty cool. Okay, awesome. But um, yeah, I'm a big Beetlehead, and I, the one the clip I saw was like Paul kind of crying. I guess he broke down crying at one point and was like, I just think we, you know, we're just trying here to, you know, and that seemed that seemed kind of. Uh, I didn't realize he had it was that emotional. You know, I didn't. Paul's I didn't. Like, I didn't see that part. Like, uh, I wonder when that, where that was. Maybe it's a, I, I missed part of the third part, uh, so maybe it's there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it totally breaks down. George George splits the band um, in this in the course of it's things. It's kind of awesome. I, I mean, that's so. I I had known about that, but seeing it happen where he goes, I'll be leaving the band, and he goes, when he goes now, and then he just yeah. leaves. <laughs> So I'll, I'll see you in the clubs, <laughs> and then, then uh, uh, no, it's it's incredible. But it, it really, uh, I think I like it because it it goes, it it all harkens back to their Hamburg days. You know, it's it's like, uh, and it, Let It Be has always kind of reminded me of that as as an album. It's it's really rough a lot of it, and it sounds like their early Hamburg recordings, but then. Uh, Billy Preston comes in, and uh, I didn't realize that either. That he was, uh, they they met him in Hamburg, and he was playing with Little Richard. Um, uh-huh. So it's he like was uh, on TV uh, as a young boy, you know, as a as a prodigy. There's pictures of him with Nat King Cole when he's like ten years old on national television. And what's funny, well, not funny, but really sad. I don't know about this the story of the abuse he underwent, but apparently he was like basically a sexual sexually abused i don't know if that was as a result of his uh, traveling and touring as a young person you know uh, i didn't read more into that but that was part of billy preston's life you know he was the prodigy the fifth beetle and he was doing that from like when he was a really young person playing the perf just playing you know by ear and matt coming in with tobacco oh he's people. he's amazing like uh, um he he finally comes in with the Beatles on that session, they're really looking for a keyboard player. He just happens to be in London, and then he uh, he just starts jamming with them, and it's just like you see Paul's face, like look out over at him, and just <laughs> just explosion of wonder and joy that that he, he, it's so good. Like the first chords that he uh, that he plays on his on, on the electric piano is just amazing. Yeah, he really fit. I mean that sound that's what i think of with that album is his sound because yeah like, yeah yeah it really uh yeah. adds to the whole album like that that yeah, makes that makes the album really i get back like the the chords that he's playing and filling in you know, yeah. you know it's just so classic 
yeah, he just he picked it up immediately. You see on these sessions, he's just like he's he's there, you know. Like, love to be that kind of a musician, you know. Like just. But then you also really have a deep respect for all of the the Beatles themselves too, as far as their skills. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Paul said, no, that's admired, John. Like they they had enough. They weren't. You know, a lot of bands don't have any music. You know, they don't know the difference between a major and a minor chord. Or, I mean, they really were pretty well uh, <clears throat> distinguished musicians. You know, you, right. you think that they were playing together since their teens. You know, it's just crazy. So it would have been about 14 years in or so where they were at. You know, at their 28-year-olds mm-hmm, when they're making right. that. But then the the thing that I always think about is when they're in Hamburg, that's just like unprecedented. Like if you're doing something that you enjoy doing, but you're doing it like eight hours a day, you know, just like how good you get because mm. you do that all the time, every day. Yeah, yeah. I think they learned some from George Martin, too. I mean, once they got into the studio and were around all the musicians, I mean, he was, a, I think, more properly trained and they had like all the arrangements and strings. And I think they were learning from the interviews I've seen, too. They kind of say that like they had to kind of learn, you know, more of a formal. Theory. I'm not disagreeing with you, Doug, but I think that's part of it, too, is learning. But I was impressed with the, with the piano. I mean, they're just like jumping on the piano, all of them, and be able mm-hmm. to play and sing, and then the guitars, and they're all seem to be multi-instrumental, you know, yeah. and that's really impressive. Yeah, even even with the with George Martin, that was one thing that I I thought about the Beatles too. You just I had this impression that he the the later Beatles, he was the big part of it. Like he was it was mostly production. Um, but uh, you look at this, and he's he's there, um, but uh, he's just letting them go, right? And 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 they're uh, yeah, like Doug said, they're just like uh, you, you see what great musicians they are. Um, but but that was the thing with this this uh, album. The concept was that they would go back to a pure, just kind of them playing, as far mm-hmm. as I knew. And when George Martin came back for the final record, Abbey Road, he. They called. I, I just saw an interview, and George Martin said, "Look, I'll only do it if you let me produce again. That's the only way I'm going to do it." And they said, oh, "Yeah, really? we want you to come back." Yeah. So George Martin was deliberately hands off for the Let It Be sessions, and his condition for Abbey Road was that he got to be hands on again. And when you read about the earlier records, I mean, George Martin was playing the what's the harpsichord. He was like highly active, even in arrangements and like. I think if we would see videos about those earlier records, you would have George Martin throwing ideas and more actively involved in terms of even our, you know, active songwriting. Uh-huh. That's my understandings, nor from the reading I've done from some of the recent interviews I've seen, because like YouTube, it just pops up now. Anything Beatles is coming at you, you know. So, so maybe maybe he is the uh, Adorno connection then. Yeah. yeah, this is the one where Adorno was like <laughs> deliberately cast aside. And no, I'm just, <laughs> just <kidding. laughs> Yeah. Uh no, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Um but the, that's that's a good point cuz uh I don't like Abbey Road nearly as much as I like the the Let It Be album. Really? Yeah, oh huh. yeah, I love I I I think Let It Be is is 
verging on punk in a way, you know, like a, just the, the raw power of it. Mm-hmm. Well, so, so many of the songs are being written that are on Abbey Road during these sessions. That's yeah, the other yeah. thing. You see a lot of these songs emerging, um, and the songs from their solo careers are during yes, these sessions. Yeah. I like the White Album. If you're talking about pure punk rock and like grunge rock, I mean, you don't get better than like some of the songs on the White Album that are complete punky, grungy. I always, I like the White Album, but I always felt like it was strangely uneven. Like there's, there's so much there, but some of it is like, I don't know. It, it I don't know how well it flows, but I haven't listened to it a ton. I mean, that was always my favorite album too, the White Album. But uh, I, um, I just, uh, just listening to Let It Be more, even before this, this documentary thing came out. It's like uh, I, I, I really like that kind of like uh, rawness to it. That even on the White Album, like you get these like, uh, why don't we do it in the road and stuff like that? But it's still like, uh, it's still produced. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not the same as like. Uh, um, even I used to listen to the the, the earlier Hamburg um, recordings that you could find, and I like that way better than the uh, than their their first albums. Oh. Yeah, I mean they have some of the rooftop concert. I think it's one after nine oh nine, and I forgot which other one um, are actually on Let It Be. So it it is yeah. a live recording. And um, so, for I mean, yeah, I have always liked Two of Us. That was always one of my favorites yeah, from, from, from Let It Be. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just thinking about like the songs like Your Blues. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like hard, heavy metal. I mean, it's like. Oh, it's a great damn. song. Yeah. Yeah. Love that song. And um, even things like uh, uh, I'm So Tired. Wait, no. Um, Mother Superior Jumped the Gun. I forgot. Yeah. That this. Happiness you know, is a warm gun. Happiness is a warm gun is kind of like yeah. that hair metal, you know, that later <laughs> where they're like, ah, you know, this kind of. But I, I love the white album. I'm, it's always been. I think that maybe Revolver um, could be on that list for me. But anyhow, the, the Beatles are. I've seen this discourse online. People are like the Beatles are so overrated. They're so past their day. They're like people complaining about this release, and I'm just like. I think they're better musicians and their music's even more uh, cutting edge than, you know, 99%. It's still before it's time, you know, in some ways. Well, they're inventing it uh-huh. in the in the moment. <laughs> like, they're yeah. the ones who made this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then uh, this sort of segues into what we're going to be talking about, but uh, in, in the... Um, in this documentary, uh, George breaks up, and then uh, and then John Lennon doesn't show up the next day either, and so it's just Paul and Ringo, and so Paul says to Ringo, and then there were two of us, <laughs> and and you know, he says, and then there were two, and then uh, so it's interesting because it's Paul and Ringo who are the last; they're still alive, and the others are wow. are gone, and then ah. and then the next uh, the next time, or a, a couple days or a day or so later. Even Ringo doesn't show up, and then so Paul says to somebody, and then there was one. <laughs> so I was like, he's the last man. He. So I wonder if that's kind of a prophecy that he'll that uh, Ringo will go before him or something. You know, like. Wow, it's pretty cool. I think uh, today, 
Michael Nesmith, maybe it was yesterday, died. Yeah, he was one of the monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, it it seems like those are bookends in some strange way. You know, the American version of the Beatles. Yeah, the the American uh, corporate version of the Beatles. Corporate, yes. But then the movie Head is strangely, wonderfully beautiful. I know. I think they rebelled against the corporate side of it, so I don't. I don't entirely condemn the monkeys. You know, they have some great songs. Right. Yeah. Hey, hey, well, we're you... the monkeys. Yeah, I remember watching that show as a kid. It was like I love that song. But I've been watching a bunch of documentary documentaries about the '60s because um, there's a lot of astrological. I've been like having to do these at year ahead shows a few of these year ahead talks with people and there's a lot of astrological um patterning that's actually i'll just share this we i don't have to launch into this i mean it's obviously but you guys might find this interesting but like the saturn jupiter cycle mm-hmm. this year actually matches the um beatles ed sullivan um because you'll have Jupiter and Aries and Saturn and Aquarius. That's how it was configured, how they were configured in February 1964 and Mm. how they were configured during the Kennedy assassination. So I think there's some echoes here of um, that kind of cultural explosion and maybe some new energy and kind of, you know, all that that implies, you know, we're kind of getting into like a 60s turn here and it sort of fits with coronavirus and it feels like we're on the cusp maybe of some like, some massive stuff that could go down in the next couple of years, but 1960s are big and all the protest stuff. I just saw sit-ins happening in Italy. Mm-hmm. Where you had vaxxed and unvaxxed, uh, so-called quote unquote together doing a sit-in and mm-hmm. of course sit-ins were rising and a little before in the sixties, but they were certainly popular in, uh, you know, 62, I think around that time, 63, and then they turn into the more active racial just explosion of the riots and the, uh, and and the uh, uh, um, Panthers and all of that later in the decade, but anyhow, I thought you just might find that interesting. Where there's this kind of astrological echo with the Beatles, and it's cool to see them returning. And well, I've always, I've always felt that that there's this kind of uh, thirty year cycle of things. Um, so even even in the '90s, obviously, there's kind of like a a, a resonance with the '60s in a way. Um, yeah, that's the Saturn cycle. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, the Saturn cycle. Uh, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, I've been watching under uh, uh, Kurt Cobain a little bit. That's popped up, and I saw his interviews about the Beatles, and he was like, "Yeah, it's the Beatles. That's my influence. You know, that's who I listen to." Yeah, and, and, they, and, and they, he, they were the parallel in the '90s, right? The Nirvana, <laughs> sure. The same Saturn cycle too. Is, yeah, is the, yeah. You, you see, uh, it's Jupiter was in a different spot, but it's all Nirvana, and he talk about a melodic. If we want to talk about the Beatles setting up later, the, the you know, I mean, it's a perfect example that you have the melodies there that are so Beatlesque, I think, with Cobain. And um, even th- I was thinking Elliot Smith. I know I've, I've talked about him with you before, Doug, and you were in this scene. But, you know, he was a hugely Beatles uh, in terms of the production and the melodies. And so it's like they even invented so and there's just it, it's on and on and on I, I and i i just think that yeah we're in a whole another 30 years from from kirk cobain right this is mm-hmm. 30 years yeah we're in 30 yeah, exactly years, so. exactly who's the new beatles do you guys anybody on your radar i mean bts maybe i guess that's oh, probably yeah. a little too corporate but yeah 
black midi or something. <laughs> um, well, so like, yeah, I don't know. I was gonna say like, uh, it, everything's different now. But the the Beatles were giant, you know, like they were international stars, right? And then they yeah. said, "This this is too much. We're not gonna tour anymore." I didn't really. I guess I didn't really realize that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you, your Kanye would do, you know, like make a big, bold statement kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm wondering, more... like the younger generation is what I'm talking I think there's going to be someone in their like early 20s and maybe I'm looking for something a little bit more creative that's not so corporatized if we, if that exists. Well, if you say that then someone like this Olivia Rodrigo who had like uh -huh. a giant album last year. Uh -huh. And it's, so it, it's musically pleasing. It's bubblegum, but it feels, you know, you you look at the songwriting credits and you, you know, you have 30 names or whatever it is, you know, that kind of stuff where it's well, just, well, I mentioned them, uh, I, I mentioned Black Midi. Have you guys heard of that band from uh, London? Oh, no. Right now. Black Media. Midi. Midi. Uh, M-I-D-I. Like, like the instrument. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. These guys are pretty wild. Uh, I don't know if they'll... They're, they're a bit too strange to get Beatles level, even Nirvana level, but I don't know. The culture is pretty strange, so it's hard to say. But There's that's the thing. It's it's never going to get to the Beatles level because the industry is so fractured now. It's not yeah. the same. It's not the same yeah. media landscape. Um, but I think there'll be an echo. History rhymes. Yeah, I think and I so. There's going to be so something. Too, yeah. Maybe yeah. it's Olivia if, Rodrigo. I heard a tune of hers <laughs> recently. I was like, damn, this is actually kind of good. Honestly, Doug, I was like, I saw, I saw her in the media. I was like, is this some Disney princess? Fuck this. And yeah, then I heard a song. <laughs> and I was like, damn, this is kind of a cool track. It was like incorporating all the stuff that's popular right now, all the production techniques and like the kind of half rap that a lot of songs are. You know, it's like, it's like, so maybe I'll put on an Olivia Rodrigo record when we get off of this. Just check her out. <laughs> <laughs> there's a band out of england that so i listened to a seattle station and they really like this band called idols um and they have kind of a clash feel to them but also maybe a little bit of a beatles vibe too but it's more clash than anything and uh i i don't i they're definitely very clever and good but i don't love them like the seattle station does but that's i that's, think uh, go ahead I was just saying, like, oh, I mean, you'd think with our, like, day and age, you might think it could be a woman or, like, that's what I, I mean. That's why I'm kind of interested in this Rodrigo thing, because it seems like we're in a much more kind of socially diverse or I don't know the best phrase where it, that that cap of, like, the male rock star may shift over to something, you know, that's not. So well, because all the men have already done it. And so it'll be interesting. Like, it'll be a. a it'll be different you know it's like you can do the same things and then all of a sudden you're going to do something new which we haven't seen before potentially which could be fun and exciting or it, or it could be a, like a more uh, collective cultural expression instead of focused on individuals as well you know mm -hmm. it, it's yeah. hard to say. it's it's probably whatever it is it's happening now you know it's it's just it's it's pre pre-1991 now it's pre pre smells like team team spirit now you know like it's just it's just bubbling under the surface and we're not even aware of it you know? 
Yeah, if, if we talk next year at this time or in two years, I think this question would be answered. I honestly do. I think that would be something we're like, okay, this was clearly that artist. That's how popular someone may emerge here and bubble up is my is my prediction. And, um, well, it's weird it's, how those cultural phenomenon that like it happens. So like uh, you you both, I don't know that we ever talked about the Squid Game because it probably happened between the time when we did Naked Launch and now. Did you guys? Are you? We, I I just know the name and, and that it's sort of a big thing, but I don't know anything about it. Well, it was like a Netflix show that everyone binge watched in the U.S. To you know, to the point where Saturday Night Live starts making jokes about it. You know, it's like that kind of cultural f- phenomenon where it just becomes ubiquitous for a moment. But then you wonder, you know, like what has actual lasting power as far as so these things now seem like they come in waves because it's like Stranger Things where, hey, here's this really interesting thing and it's it happens and then you need to have like another iteration of it to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the branding on that was pretty sweet. I, and they were even talking about it in Albania. I mean. People, I mean, they're not disconnected here culturally. They're basically Western culture. But the, the, and then all over Twitter and stuff, the beat I got on it was people were like, this sucks. It was just like the branding. Like it was like a perfect little branding of the Korean um, popularity of Korean culture. You had these like cute actress, that young actress that's beautiful and then other kind of good looking. I mean, I felt like it was a branding victory like high level branding victory for social media memes were created that went like wildfire it's like a perfect but thing so you, to memeify you guys didn't watch it huh no i don't have it i don't have access no. i don't pay for the netflix or disney or anything like that so. yeah well it it's pretty compelling i mean so it's it's a it's you know it's a i don't know what you'd say it's just maybe dystopian would be the word but you know it's 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 a it's all about cultural capitalism and you know what we do for money and debt and that kind of stuff but there's a metaphor and it's brutal it's like as brutal as as it gets but it's 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 really compelling to watch cuz it's 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 fun it's you know like really plotted well where you're you want to you know find out what happens what's going on so you basically are saying yes, you like it. You think it was a, a artistically had some merit and it was enjoyable. Well, so the thing about it was, you know, it was made by a guy who didn't give up. You know, where he was rejected for ten years and then he finally yeah. was able to get it made. And so it's like, well, this that. is great. Yes, you know, to realize your dream. But then also, even though there's so much glitz to it, there is substance. I think that, you know, you can have arguments both ways that, well, you know, maybe it becomes the thing that is decrying, but I don't, I don't really necessarily think that. I think this, this, I'm going to just say this point, but to me, this is kind of a good segue actually to, I didn't read this book, but I've watched the two movies and I'm going to kind of take a step back. I'll let you guys talk about the text and you can bring me in whenever you want. But I feel like the, um, I saw with Squid Games, it was like anti-communist people were using it to say this is about like authoritarian communism and North Korea style societies. 
And then like leftist communists were saying, no, this is about capitalism and how capitalism is like a debt, a debt system and enslaves through capital. And so this kind of um, it became like a, a, a way to critique any of these systems and people were grabbing it for their own agendas. And I feel like the story, at least with the Shelley story that I've seen, like you can kind of use it in different ways, like it can, can become like a metaphor for so many different things, you know, um, like. Uh, I won't say too much more on that yet. I'll kind of save it for the call. But if we're going to, you know, if it's going to be more formalized here, but, you know, where it's like yeah. themes like of death and uh, over sexuality and all of these kind of creative licentiousness or something, these lifestyles, you can kind of frame that in so many different ways as a critique. And like you could you could read this these movies that I watched as like a moral tale of like some kind of moral tale of coming back to like morals is you know that would be the theme you know so anyhow i i, I won't say too much more there but it feels similar uh, as a work of art where you can it becomes something that you see it's a mirror like a lot of good works of art become you know well let's what let's launch in i mean it is interesting because we were talking about the 60s and i, I think shelley's parents I mean, I, that's what I felt like. That it's the same kind of generation almost, where they were revolutionaries, romantics, you know, free love. Anyway, I will start reading this introduction, and then we'll launch into this book. We'll find can out you, if Snora liked it. <laughs> can, you, um, can you just hold for a second? I'm just going to grab uh, some water. Okay. I'm going to check the dates here, Doug, on on because, yeah, that that's a big it's an important connection, I think. And I want to see what was happening with Mary Shelley's dad and when he was born and her mom and just kind of get get a little bit more clear about some of those dates. Let's see here. OK, we're talking about square 18th century. Feels like they were kind of like maybe a forerunners to a later romantics. Her parents may have been before their time in terms of like a timeline because, uh, you know, sort of how beatniks were in a way before the hippie hippie era. But anyhow, but anyhow, uh, Mary, her parents were um, Mary. That was her mom's name, Mary Wollstonecraft, same as her. So she was 1759 to 1797 was was when her mom was so pre-America, born during the the invention, the, the making of the American entity. Interesting. All right. Don't All right. Let me down. Goodbye.